Hello and welcome to the Christ Fellowship weekly podcast. At Christ Fellowship, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on Sunday morning, please visit ChristFellowship.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. This morning, I'm honored to be here with you, and we're going to be continuing our series called Journey to the Cross. And we're looking at these significant events throughout Jesus' life on his way to the cross. And one thing we're specifically narrowing in and focusing in on are the mountaintop experiences, the, the times when Jesus is on mountaintops that were leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. You don't have to read the Bible very long to find out that mountains are very significant in the scriptures. And so I've got a list here of just a few of the places within the scriptures where we find popular and well-known stories about mountaintops in the Bible, starting with Mount Ararat. This is the place where Moses or Noah and the ark landed in Genesis 8. Mount Moriah is the place where Abraham went up to sacrifice Isaac in Genesis 22. Mount Sinai is the place where Moses received the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Mount Pisgah, where Moses saw the Promised Land in Deuteronomy 34. Mount Carmel, the place where Elijah took on the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. And the Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane was and supposedly where Jesus was ascended into heaven. And these are just a few. I mean, I could, there are a lot more than this, but this is just a little, little sampler of all these different mountaintops. So clearly, when a Bible story is happening on a mountaintop, that should be a clue to us, man, like we need to tune in here and pay attention because some cool stuff is about to happen. I love hiking. I love being out in nature. It's one of my favorite things to do. And this past summer, my wife and I, Rachel and I, got to go out to the Black Hills of South Dakota. If you have not been there, it is unbelievable. I got a picture here of us at the, one of the top of the summits. I took my wife on a 10-mile hike that day. She didn't know what she was getting into, uh, but we did it. She was a trooper. And this is just a picture of us overlooking something called the Cathedral Spires. I mean, just incredible. I mean, there is something powerful about just being on a mountaintop that makes you feel close to God. You just feel like God's presence is all around you. It gives you perspective on your life. You're just struck by the majesty and the beauty of this creation, and you realize how small and insignificant you are and how big and great God really is. Man, I love being out in God's creation. And I feel so close to God uh, when I climb mountains. So my question this morning is, is when was the last time you felt close to God? When did you really feel close to his heart? For some of you in this room, you may be coming off the mountaintop. You were on, on the, the mission trip to Baton Rouge or Tijuana, and you just feel like you've had one of the most significant revelations of God's heart that you've ever had in your entire life. Or you may be in this room, and you feel like, man, it has been a long time, Micah, since I have felt the presence of God. It's been a long time since I've felt close to His heart or that He's given me a revelation of Himself. Wherever you find yourself on that spectrum this morning, I believe that God wants to speak to you today, that he wants to meet with you. Why does God give us these mountaintop experiences? When I look back over the course of my life and I look back at the significant times where, where God showed up in my life, man, I just look, I, I hold those moments very dearly and close to my heart when God showed up in my world. 
And the reason I'm standing up here today is because of some significant mountaintop experiences that I had in my life where God radically reoriented my heart to him and gave me a passion to live for him and to share the gospel, to lead young people and to serve the church. And I'm just as passionate about that today as when it first happened. And actually, I believe that I'm receiving an a growing revelation of the person of Jesus that's making me fall more in love with him. In the same way, I believe that God wants to give you not just a revelation that, man, that was nice, that was, that was cool in the past, but actually an ongoing revelation of his heart. Because that is what makes walking with Jesus fun, all right? That's what keeps it fresh. I need fresh manna, all right? Yesterday's manna is not good enough. I need fresh manna for today. And today I am choosing to love and follow Jesus, and I'm asking him to reveal his heart to me. And I want to encourage you with that type of passion, with that type of tenacity, to pursue a revelation from God this morning. But the thing is, as these, we have these memorials that we can look back upon, the reality is, is that, that we have to walk those things out by faith. All right. I can't live off of that revelation I had of God 14 years ago. I need to walk it out day by day. I need to live in light of the revelation 14 years ago. Now, am I still looking back to that revelation? You bet. Those are precious moments to me but I'm walking it out by faith day by day. Don't limit your revelation experience to a one-time event. It's just the beginning. See, that revelation experience doesn't end when you leave the mountaintop. That is just the beginning of that experience. So for example, two and a half years ago, Rachel and I stood at an altar and made a commitment to one another. That's a beautiful day, right? Glorious day. We have pictures of it hanging in our house that we rem- to remind us of that beautiful moment. But that the power of that moment is simply because it points to something greater. It points to a lifetime of relationship with one another. It points to a lifetime of walking and living life in the valley together. That's what marriage is, and that is what God does with us. He brings us into relationship with him, and then we have the opportunity to live it out day by day. Jesus is a good friend and he calls us friends, but we must walk it out by faith. Second Peter 1, 5 through 8. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if these qualities increase among you, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be ineffective in my knowledge of Jesus. I don't want to be unproductive in my knowledge of Jesus. I want my life to be a fruitful vine of which people are coming to know Jesus and coming into relationship with him. Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I found the, mo- the majority of life with Jesus is in the valley. It's walking with him. And that's the beautiful thing that Jesus goes with us no matter where we go. He says it at, at the end in the Great Commission, Lo, I am with you always. Do not worry about tomorrow. I'm with you today. And so we have to learn how to walk with Jesus. And I don't think you would be in this room if you didn't desire a revelation of Jesus. 
But mountaintop experiences are worthless if we don't have vision to live them out in the valley. The transfiguration specifically not only represents the, mount, the power of mountaintop experience, but maybe more importantly, it provides instruction for us on a how to live from a place of revelation. We have to learn about how to live from a place of revelation. So today we're going to be focusing in specifically on the Mount of Transfiguration. The last two weeks we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and today we're looking at the Mount of Transfiguration. So if you have your Bibles, open those up to Mark chapter 9. And as you're turning there, I'll share our main point for today. Transfiguration is a key bridge to the cross meant to instill trust in the identity of Christ, the love of God, and the words of Christ. Beginning in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, it reads, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. So as we're going through the scripture, I want to encourage you to enter in to what God is doing here. I want you to picture yourself as if you were there with Jesus on the mountaintop. And I love this passage, not just because it's crazy awesome and God is doing incredible things, but I love that Jesus is modeling discipleship for us here. He's modeling discipleship not just in a one-time event, and I believe he wasn't just discipling them the, the, these, these, uh, these disciples, when they got to the top of the mountain, I believe he was discipling them as they went up the mountain. Jesus is modeling discipleship. He has a purpose in this. And it's not the first time that he would pull these three guys aside. So he's intentional with investing specifically in these three guys. And so discipleship takes intentionality. It takes purpose, not only with certain people, but about your trajectory, right? So Jesus has a purpose and he has an end in mind that he's trying to get them to. And so do you have vision, not just for your own life, but do you have vision for the lives of the people around you? That, those are the kind of people that I wanna be around. I wanna be around people that don't have vision just for themselves and are caught up in their own walk with Jesus. I wanna be around people that have vision for my life and who have enough vision for my life to encourage me to speak truth into my life and even tell me when I'm wrong, when I need to hear it. So Jesus is modeling for them discipleship. He has a purpose. In Luke, it says in this, about the transfiguration, transfiguration that Jesus was taking them up there to pray. And I don't know about you, but most of the significant revelations that I've had in my life come from places of prayer or worship. And so I have to seek those places out. And here's the thing. We can't twist, we can't strong arm God into giving us revelation, but we can position ourselves to receive revelation. We don't, we don't, bring, we don't bring the revelation. You can't work up your own revelation, but you can position yourself strategically to receive a revelation from God. And I'm telling you, if you put yourself there long enough, he's gonna pour out his spirit. Man, whatever you got to do, whatever you got to do to get the revelation, you got to go into your room, shut the door and say, God, I'm not leaving till you show up. It's time to get desperate for revelation from Jesus. He wants to meet with us. I also think Jesus is in shape because it says that uh, he was leading them up, not just a hill, but a high mountain. I man, Jesus is trucking. Peter, James, and John, they're like, Ooh, will you slow down, dude, man? Like, we need a water break because everybody's got that dude in a hiking group who's always has to be like in the front 
telling everybody to hurry up and do it. Dude, just chill out, bro. Like, we just want to enjoy the scenery, want to eat a cliff bar. This is great. Jesus is trucking though, right? So as funny as it sounds, I think he's modeling just exercise and being in shape. I think that's a really good thing. I also think he's, when he's talking about as we go, if you're a parent in this room, I think we need to teach our children, teach our youth what it means to walk with Jesus as we go. So what I mean by that is when you're driving to school in the van, it doesn't have to be fancy, but let's start praying for our school. Let's start praying for the other kids. Let's start praying for our teachers and our principals. We know they need it. Uh, uh, amen. Chris Chapman said, amen. He's a junior high principal. They really need some prayer. Uh, as we're going to, to soccer practice, right? We're praying as we go for our soccer teams. As we're going to class, right? You're praying for your professors to come to a revelation of Jesus, for your friends that don't know Jesus, praying for them, right? Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, hey, the disciples are, teach us how to pray, and he gives them a really simple prayer. Guys, don't overcomplicate the gospel. Don't overcomplicate walking with Jesus. Make it simple. After this intense hike, while modeling discipleship for Peter, James, and John, Jesus gets them up on a mountain, and here's what happens. Continuing in verse 2, it says, there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them, better than any tide detergent. I've got a picture here of Jesus. Man, I, I just love pictures of Jesus. Man, I love his face. I just love seeing it. I just love imagining what Jesus was like in that moment, just transfigured before the disciples. I think it's good for us to picture Jesus in our mind's eye. Continuing on, <clears throat> it says, and there appeared before, appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Got another pick here just to help you visualize what's going on. So here you got Jesus, you got Moses, and you got Elijah, and you got the three disciples. And man, this is like a great reunion that's going on here. I, I think about like, man, just how excited Jesus must have been to like see these guys and to be together with them. And if you ever see me, you can ask my wife, whenever I get around my college roommates, a part of me comes to life that doesn't always come out in different circumstances, but because I know those guys and they know me, because I love those guys and I know that they love me, it's a safe environment for me to be myself. And so here you have this awesome reunion that's going on. It says in the scriptures that Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. So I think Jesus knew Elijah. He knew, he knew Moses. And so he had a relationship with them. And so I think they're talking, they're having fun. It was definitely better than your 10-year high school reunion. I know that. Uh, but in the midst of this great reunion, Peter gets the bright idea to make some observations and some suggestions about how he can participate and contribute to the reunion of the ages. Man, you got to love Peter. It's like, he's got a great heart. He really does. And he's trying his best. But sometimes like, dude, Peter, you just need to take your foot and stick it in your mouth, dude. Okay. Just don't say anything. All right. Classic Peter. He said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. No joke. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Peter's like that dude that when he, he doesn't, he just doesn't think before he speaks. He just, 
Whatever's in his mind is just coming straight out his mouth, right? And he's got a great heart here, but he states the obvious. It's good for us. To be, it's like, it's like, he's like pulling out his phone. He's like, man, this is good stuff. I'm about to Instagram story this. Man, my Instagram's about to blow up. And, and not only that, but he interrupts Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Bad idea. Don't interrupt those dudes. But like I said, cut him some slack. He is seeing dead people. All right. You saw some dead people. You probably say some pretty weird stuff too. So he's got a great heart, but he is really, Peter's lacking a understanding of the, the revel, the nature of revelation. He wants to, he, I think he builds these shelters because he doesn't want this moment of revelation to end. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in that, that intense moment where God is just downloading his heart to you? And you're just like, I don't want this to end. I don't want to leave this place. And so Peter suggests putting up these different shelters because he wants to stay there. He wants to stay in that place with Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And, and then he wants them to stay there so that he can come back, right? So that he can, whatever he needs, like, uh, you know, some encouragement, he can come back to that place. But what Peter doesn't understand is that... Um, you know, revelation is for the valley. The reason why Jesus gives us revelation is so that we can live it out in the valley. It's not so that we can stay in that place of revelation because revelation without a right response is merely information. It's meaningless unless we respond to the revelation. And so you can have as many revelations as you want, but until you learn how to live it out, it doesn't matter. It's meaningless. And what Peter doesn't know is that he's about to hear the audible voice of God. So Jesus has been transfigured. Moses and Elijah show up. And now God's about to show up. It's about to get crazy. A moment, then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Some versions say they saw no one but Jesus. Man, I want to see nobody but Jesus. Moses and Elijah are great, but you know what's happening in this moment? God is saying the one who is greater than those two guys is here. He's saying, he didn't say listen to Moses. He doesn't say listen to Elijah. He says, listen to Jesus. It's important for us to see that. And it's so symbolic in the sense that Moses and Elijah themselves both had power encounters on mountaintops. I mean, this is symbolic. You know, just like Moses was covered in a cloud and received the Ten Commandments, here we have it again. Just like God spoke to Elijah in a still small voice on the side of a mountaintop, God is again speaking to his children. God is not done with what he wants to do on the earth. Moses and Elijah were merely preambles setting the stage for Jesus. And here we find partial fulfillment of everything Moses and Elijah worked for in the transfiguration of Christ, beginning with a revelation of the identity of Christ. If you flip back to Mark chapter 1, 1, verse 9 and 11, it says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Sound familiar? So here we have Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. God speaks this affirmation over him. But why does God choose to speak this revelation again here in the middle of Mark? Well, if you read through the book of Mark, you'll find that up until this point in Mark chapter 9, Jesus is kicking butt and taking names. I mean, the dude is undefeated. He has authority over every power, over every sickness, over every disease. He even has power and authority over the wind and the waves. And so these disciples are just floored at everything that Jesus is doing. And they're like, man, I am a part of this. This is unbelievable. But if you read at the end of Mark 8, Jesus makes a little prediction. He says, hey guys, I'm actually going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And our friend Peter, who likes to stick his foot in his mouth, takes Jesus aside and says, Jesus, you ain't doing that. uh, You're crazy. Like, what are you talking about? And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. It's like, whoa, right? That just got real serious real quick, right? And, but why? Because, so, so why did Peter miss that moment of the revelation of the Son of God? Well, because everything they had seen up to that point was Jesus' victories. And, and so they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the benefit that you and I have of knowing the end of the story, that Jesus was going to be crucified, that he was going to be resurrected, that he was going to be ascended. They didn't have the opportunity to look back. And so in the moment, this doesn't fit their Jewish context for what a Messiah should look like. And so I believe that God specifically positions this affirmation here in Mark chapter 9 because he's saying that I am still a loving father and Jesus still is the son of God even though he's going to suffer and be rejected by mankind. Jesus is wanting to affirm his son that suffering is actually, his suffering and crucifixion is actually a part of God's plan. But when you look at this verse, who is God speaking to in this moment? Is he speaking to Elijah and Moses? Nope. Is he speaking to Jesus? Nope. I believe Jesus heard this affirmation. He's speaking to the disciples. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. (laughs) Y'all, this blew my doors off, right? In this moment, God is speaking Not to those guys, he's speaking to the disciples. He's giving this moment of revelation for the disciples because he knew that these disciples would be the one to take this message of the gospel to the nations. And they needed to know the identity of Christ. They needed to know the love that God had for his son. And they needed to know that Jesus' words were of utmost importance in in order for them to fulfill the calling that God had on their life. And so we must pay attention here to what God is doing. And so God begins, so so just as God began Jesus' life of ministry with this statement, Jesus is, is wanting to reaffirm it for the disciples. And just like the disciples needed an identity, a revelation of the identity of Christ, so do we. We need a revelation of God's identity over and over and over again for ourselves. The second way this passage provides instruction for us on how to live from a place of revelation 
is by reaffirming and articulating the love of God. You are my son whom I love. So you see, God is secure in his identity. He's secure enough in his identity to show love, to demonstrate love, and to verbalize his love for his son. You see, God is a loving father. And sending his son to the cross was actually the most loving thing he could have done. If we ever get away from the love of God, we have missed the heart of God. Let me say it again. If we ever get away from the love of God, we have missed the heart of God. We must keep God's love at the center of everything we do. Every morning I get up and I spend time with Jesus, and at the end of my time with the Lord, I say, God, would you speak to me, and would you tell me how much you love me? He speaks to me, and speaks encouragement to me. Tells me how much he loves me, how proud he is of me. Crazy? Maybe. Weird? Maybe. But really, really encouraging? You bet. And so I need to know that my Father loves me. Because when we don't feel loved, we do some crazy stuff. We turn to anger, hatred, selfishness, manipulation, gossip, backbiting, lust, greed, alcohol, you name it, right? We'll, do it. we'll go anywhere. We'll go to any lengths, even if it comes at great expense to ourselves or the people around us to, to, to get a sense of love for ourselves, to prove that we're lovable or to punish those that withhold love from us. It's important that we know and that you hear this morning, you are my son whom I love. I'm well pleased with you. You are my daughter, my beloved, who I love. I'm well pleased with you. The final way this passage provides instruction for us on how to live from a place of revelation is by reaffirming and articulating the importance of the words of Christ. Just like I said, this, this phrase, this affirmation from God is spoken to the disciples. Jesus would talk about his own words in this way in John chapter 6, 32 through 33. He says, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You see, God is looking for relationship with people. He's not looking for robots to do everything he asks. When you think about listening... How do you know if somebody's listening to you? Well, they're probably looking you in the eye. They're probably listening to what you have to say. They're probably not interrupting you while you're speaking. They're probably responding to you with what you're saying. That is how you know if somebody is listening to you. And if you do and practice good listening skills and conversation skills with somebody, you're probably going to have a pretty good relationship. And so the reason why God is telling the disciples to listen to Jesus and to listen to his words is because he wants them to have a healthy and strong relationship with Jesus. Relationship with Jesus is the key. If you're in this room and you have teenagers, your parent, you probably understand the fact that if you have rules, but you don't have a relationship with your youth, it leads to rebellion. And in the same way with our relationship with God, if we just have rules, but we don't have relationship with Jesus, it's going to lead to rebellion. And so relationship with Jesus is the key. And the way we do relationship with Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. 
So as a recap, God provides instruction for us on how to live from a place of revelation by instilling, articulating, reminding us of the identity of God, the, the love of God, and the words of Jesus. If we live from a place of revelation, we will see and experience the kingdom of God coming in our lives, and we will fulfill the purposes that God has for our lives. The decisions we make today will determine the people we are tomorrow. And so what would it look like if we sought the revelation of God, not just as individuals in this room seeking revelation for ourselves, but what would it look like if we as a community began to pursue the revelation of Jesus? How would that change things? We are meant to pursue Jesus in the context of community. So as we finish here, I want to invite our worship band to, to come on up. I invite you to stand with me. And as the disciples are coming down the mountain after this incredible experience, Jesus tells them something very interesting. He says, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Don't post this on social media. Don't post this on Instagram. Don't post this on Facebook. You need to wait until I've been resurrected until you share this with others. Now, why does Jesus tell them to wait to share about this incredible experience that they've just had? I believe that Jesus was getting at the heart of our point here that the revelation can only be lived out in the valley. God wanted them to understand that he had given them this beautiful and powerful experience, not, to, not so that they could say they had this awesome experience, but so that they would have the fuel to fan into flame the fire that they would need to share the gospel with the rest of the earth, to spread the word of God and to build the church. And so what is the revelation that God has given you? What is the revelation that God has given you that you need to hold on to, that you need to remember? And so maybe you're in this room and you're coming off the mountain and you're looking down at the valley and you're like, I need to walk this out by faith. I don't know how to do it, but I know I need to do it. Or maybe you're in this room and it's been a long time since you've had a fresh revelation from God. And you need prayer that God would give you the, the faith that you need to continue to persevere to give you the strength that even though you're weary, that God is going to carry you through, that he's going to carry the day, that he's faithful, that he's true to his promises, that he is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he said he'll do. Or maybe you're in this room this morning, you've never had a revelation of Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior and as King. Today's your day to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Gords. My prayer is that you would see the transfigured Jesus and you would see a and have a revelation of him this morning in a way that you've never had before. So wherever you're at, we invite you to come and receive prayer this morning. Let's respond to Jesus today.